Welcome, everyone. A song is a fantastic way to prepare our hearts for the message that we have this morning. We're in between all the last weeks of dedicating this space, and then next week is our beginning of the Christmas series and that time of year that's wonderful. So we have this little gap this Sunday, and God has given me a, a message for us as a church family, and that song we were just singing prepares us well to hear it. <clears throat> Let me begin with these questions, but uh, you don't have to show your hand because it's, uh, it's just too obvious. How many of you, when you buy a car, you hope it doesn't start on the first day? Or how many of you, when you plant seeds in the garden, you prefer they do not grow? Or how many of you, when you burn a cake, wait, when you bake a cake, <laughs> you don't want to burn it? Or lastly, how many of you, when you go hunting, you prefer not to shoot something? You know, I haven't polled everybody in here, but I want to safely estimate that everyone wants to see good results from the hard work that they do, that the effort they give, they see fruit. Few people, if any, prefer failure in the, in the true sense of it against success. And I suspect that God put that desire in us because it reflects his intentions too. God wants you to grow and to do well. We have looked at so many of these verses the last few weeks, and I even recall of Joshua 1, in which the language is to be successful and to be prosperous. You must know him, meditate on his word day and night, seek the Lord, be strong and courageous, on and on and on in Joshua 1. Well, listen to these other verses that describe God's intention for us to grow. And to do well. Second Peter 3 says this, starting in the middle of verse 17. Be on guard. Then you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people and lose your own secure footing. Rather, you must grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Another verse that's similar is Colossians 2, 6 and 7. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, you know, you believed in him, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And then lastly, even just the declaration found in Amos 5.4, seek me and live, not seek me and die, seek me and live. I propose to you that God wants you to grow strong in your faith. In fact, I propose that he is the biggest cheerleader for you to do well. Not just your mom and dad, or not just your spouse, or maybe not even your child who may know the Lord better than you do, and they are praying for you to grow strong in your faith, but that God himself wants you to excel as a follower of Jesus Christ in your devotion to the Lord and in the fruit of your life. He has equipped you with the Holy Spirit who's active in you, so even if you feel weak, even if you're bringing nothing to the table, as long as you have the Holy Spirit, what else do you need? In fact, you could be super strong in all sorts of ways, in like the earthly ways, in your own, your own um, like intellect and physical uh, ability and whatever it may be. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you got nothing because you cannot compete against all the different stuff that's out there. And if you have the Holy Spirit, though, you could bring nothing. You could be that little uh, that metaphorical five loaves and two fish to, to the table, and God will take that and make you into a person who has a bountiful outcome with your life. Sadly, it seems like a lot of Christians tend to live a little bit like Eeyore. You know, they're assuming disappointment. They're just 
planning for it. They see the negative in their life. They've accepted their lot as a failure in one way or another, maybe even across the board as a whole. I'm just not like this person. I'm just not like that person. All they see when they look in the mirror is who they're not. And it's like, God's not even looking at you that way. I wanna challenge us to be Christ followers who are growing strong, not giving up, not growing content with mediocrity in any parts of our lives, but growing more and more like Jesus Christ until we see him face to face. To help frame this challenge for us, let's turn to Matthew 13. Matthew 13. As you're, as you're turning there in your Bibles, I, I want this challenge to be one that will even prepare us well this holiday season. You know, leading up to Christmas Day over the next month, what's today, 26th? Yeah, so the next 30 days, you have, a, you have this challenge to be able to be the strongest and the most vibrant in your faith that you've ever been leading up into this Christmas morning where you will remember Jesus Christ's birth. And that's my challenge for us. I think so many times you look back and you say, well, I was really strong 10 years ago. Okay, maybe you were, but don't let that just be the, the way it is the rest of your life. Let, let this year, this Christmas, this, this gap between Thanksgiving and Christmas to be the strongest, you've ever, the, the most you have ever pursued the Lord. There's no excuse. We are cheering you on. You, you had all the resources at your disposal. Let us begin to commit that way. So Matthew 13, starting in verse three, Jesus is saying this. He says, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. Okay, so here you have this parable from Jesus naming four different paths, each describing the different kinds of people and how they respond to the gospel that has been given to them. Jesus explains this parable a few verses later, starting in verse 18. He says, hear then the parable of the sower, because his disciples are asking, you know, what's it mean and all that. Verse 19, Jesus says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown on the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. Let me pray for us, and then we're gonna talk through this. Heavenly Father, 
your word is so good that from Genesis to Revelation and in the middle here we have this parable, we can be nourished by it, we can be strengthened by it, we are, we are corrected by it. And I pray that as we read your word now, as we teach through this, you would use it to be a means for us to grow in our faith, deep and strong in you. I pray you would bring to mind an area that we need to confess or make right to you. I pray you would allow our hearts to be attuned to you. This is a sacred moment where your church is gathering. What a wonderful time. Often we're reading your word throughout the week on our own, but what a privileged moment this is for us to gather and have your word lead us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Okay, so this parable, it is so interesting because Jesus actually explains what it is. We've actually talked on this parable a few times over the years as a church family, and we're, we're doing it again today, but with a slightly different uh, approach. This passage is immediately understandable through the lens of salvation, in which the gospel message is like a seed. It's a good seed, ready to grow. It's not toxic. There's not a problem with it. It will grow. It's just a matter of what, where, where does it land? Does it land on the path? Does it land on the rock? Does it land in the thorns? Or does it ran, land in that really good soil? The gospel message is tossed to every single person and they respond one of four ways. So the first way somebody might respond is like this path. The, the first person, they're a squanderer. They, they have been given a treasure, but they let it go without a fight. They are easy prey to Satan who prowls around like a lion looking to devour a weakling. Matthew Henry, the commentary, the theologian, preacher, pastor, he said this, that he, he calls Satan the great murderer of souls. And he says that he is the great thief of sermons. And he will snatch that good deposit away. That deposit that's been entrusted to us, you, just, you hear it and it just gets ripped right, up from, right out of your hands. You know, I'm giving presents to my kids. We just gave one to our littlest. She's two. And, you know, when you have a lot of kids, sometimes you don't celebrate the birthday right away. So we kind of still haven't got to that, uh, even though her birthday was five weeks ago. And so she just got a present because it was Thanksgiving time, family was in. And so we're like, just give it to her. Who knows if we're ever in, you know, we made a cake. It got moldy because it was like two weeks later. I mean, just the whole thing, right? I don't need to give you all the backstory, but we didn't really do it the way you're supposed to do it. So we gave her that, and she's carrying this baby doll around. And at one point, I tried to take it from her last night for bedtime, and she did not want to have it. So she clung to that thing. And I'll tell you, you know, friends, when it comes to the gospel being entrusted to us, you can receive it, and it just, you just let the enemy rip it right out of your hands. It's like even my baby's not letting her baby dolls taken from her, and we just let the gospel be taken from us so easily. So that's the, that's the first kind of response, that path. The second response is that which is described as, as, as rocks. This, this second person is weak-hearted, and they crack under pressure. They learn of Christ's forgiveness and salvation that he offers by grace, not by merit, praise the Lord, and they rejoice with everyone else. They're worshiping and they're thanking the Lord for his blessings and his promises, but they do not have a genuine change of heart. They've actually never repented for their sin or experienced regeneration of their heart, that, that, that change, that supernatural change of their heart. They have not experienced the Holy Spirit indwelling them and then empowering them to withstand trials. He's stronger than anything you can do when it comes to withstanding trials. The Holy Spirit is so powerful. And these folks, they're essentially like hypocrites in that they, they claim a faith that they have not actually experienced. 
They claim an identity as an adopted son or daughter of the kingdom, but they're not really wearing the royal robes. Their true colors are shown when those tribulations arise, and they will back away from it all. Uh, The third scenario and response is when the gospel falls among these thorns. This, this person I'm categorizing as the spiritual adulterer, which I know is strong language, but think of it this way. They, they've claimed that their first love is Jesus, but they've actually given the true affections of their heart over to the trinkets of this world, the passions around them. At that holy arbor, they say, I do, to Jesus, but their eyes are looking past him and seeing the lust of the world and all the cravings and the desires. The call and the beckoning of the earthly and the temporary has a greater pull than the wondrous mercy of Jesus. They've been deceived to crave earthly riches. Did you notice that like of all the things that will, that will be the thorn, one of the statements that Jesus says, it's the riches, the worldly riches that will pull for you. So the riches and the power are greater than the riches and the power of a life in Christ. These people might even know that these riches are fleeting and that the power is practically worthless compared to the power in Christ, but they will still long for it. So that's the third one. And the fourth person is a harvester. They're carrying a basket full of fruit to present to Jesus when they see him face to face. Uh, This life is one marked by a heavenly cornucopia. Did you guys have any of those on your table? Anyone with a cornucopia? We never, we, we, that's not really a family tradition, although I like it. I think it's quite cool, but I never, never got around to it. Their life has genuine worship, total surrender and reliance at the foot of the cross, a life filled by the Spirit, one that's exuding love and grace and charity to others. This isn't superhero Christianity. This is normal Christianity. And it's possible to live that way because every morning this person says, not I, but Christ. All right, so these are the four types of people described in these different ways. You have, again, the path and then the rock and the thorns and then the soil that is allowing this gospel seed to grow well. I think it's a very personal parable for us in so many ways because many of us would say that we were one of those first three types of uh, ground for that seed. And we were that way for many years until God started a new and fresh work in our lives, allowing that gospel seed to finally bear fruit. I think if we went around the room, some of us would say, I was like that first one. I heard the gospel for years and just like went in one ear and out the other. I mean, I was slowly learning, but just never, never had real belief. Others would say, I, I believed, but I honestly, I didn't really fully trust because the, the cares and the situation of a trial or tribulation really derailed my, my faith. I actually, I, I don't know really, my, I really wasn't a Christian. And others would say the riches of the world just ravished my heart for decades until I finally responded to the Lord. And then lastly, you know, some of us saying, and finally, the gospel resonated with my heart and God changed me. That transformation you read about in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, this entire, I, I was, a, I was a, uh, the old is gone and the new is now here. 
a new creation that is true of me. And there's that kindred spirit when, when I speak with you that way. So we see all these different things in life. And so this parable is quite relatable. And I think we can recognize how this works, not only in real life when you toss seed around and sometimes it grows and sometimes it doesn't depending on where it lands, but also in our own lives. Super, super relatable. Well, friends, which path or which response describes you? Perhaps today you are listening and for the first time the gospel is taking root and you realize you're, you're one of those first three areas, the path or a rock or a thorny, thorny ground. But now you are ready to respond in faith. If so, would you place your faith in Jesus today? I, I encourage you to seriously take heart the words of Romans 10, 9, which says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All of us need the salvation that Jesus offers. Now, in a church like ours, we always have folks in those other those other categories just because it's, uh, you know, we try to be a place where anybody trying to uh, discover who Christ is, you are welcome here. Drink some coffee, sing with us. I love that you're here. My prayer is that you would know Christ. But for many of you, 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 you are a genuine follower of Christ. Uh, what you tell me is true. And we will worship Jesus face to face one day. It's a wonderful thing to be where we have a healthy church where people are growing in their faith. So let let me take this parable one step deeper and, and let's consider its application in a different way, a, a, a kind of a, a, a unique way for us in our faith. Have you ever noticed that some parts of your Christian life grow easily, yet other parts tend to struggle? You know, so, some things, it's like the gospel message just gets implanted there and it grows wonderful. But other areas of your life that are good and godly and holy, and God is trying to teach you in this area, it's like it gets snatched away by Satan. Or it's like it grows for a little while, but then a trial or a tribulation just scorches that out. Or it's, it's, it's trying to grow, but the, the thorns of whatever the scenario is, it could be riches or other cares of the world, just begins to choke it out. And it never really takes hold. I have noticed that in my life. And that's a little bit of the conundrum that drives this message in this, this second part of the, of the sermon this morning. The gospel is a good seed and it should grow healthy and strong and God glorifying in all sorts of areas. But sometimes it doesn't because the soil of that scenario or that part of our life has toxins in it and it stifles spiritual vitality. Our Christian lives are made up of all sorts of unique Christ-like attributes, how we act, how we think, how we speak, our aim in life, our priorities, all this stuff. The Apostle Paul says this in Colossians 1, in verse 10, let's walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. And that's a wonderful verse. I look at that often. I pray that for me and for you as individuals often. And sometimes we'd say this is true in an area, but not in all areas of our lives. God works in us to grow us more and more like Jesus Christ. And some of these areas grow a little more quickly than others. And to put it another way, in our sanctification or being made more and more Christ-like or being made more and more holy, and not in a position before God, but, but in, our, in our own just progress, our maturity in our faith, 
in that way, we're like fertile soil in some areas, but then other parts of our life are like those other paths or the rock or the thorns. For instance, some of us have robust times with God, you know, that quiet time with the Lord, and others of us, you struggle to have and cultivate that part of your walk with God. Some of us can break an addiction, uh, but others might fight that our whole lives. Some of us are naturally prone as God works in our lives. We love serving others. And others of us tend to be a little bit more selfish in that regard. Some of us are extremely generous and some of us are not. Some of us love gathering with believers with worship and, and others struggle to prioritize that. You can pick all sorts of areas of the Christian life. Honestly, I think we could probably name a thousand. There's just so many and as you think about the fruit of the Holy Spirit as it's lived out in your life joyfully and obediently, I think we'll all recognize there are some things that God calls us to that they just grow wonderful. You got a great little harvest there. And other things, just a struggle. And you have seen God slowly mature that and strengthen that in one way or another. Uh, I, I don't know, I think about my own life. There's just dozens that stand out to me, especially since having children, all the different refinements, both being married and having kids. God has used those factors. Oh, and being a pastor here, as I think about this. So who, who I am in Christ is just a whole nother uh, level, year after year, growing in all these different ways. But some grow quicker than others. Some of the exhortations of God's word to my life, they just take root and I can change like 180. All right, new, new day, new, new life. And others just take a while. So this morning, I think we need to be exhorted to live in a manner worthy of the Lord, as Colossians 1 says, and not to grow content with underdevelopment or stagnation where God wants to see life and joy and maturity. There's a tendency in which we'll say, hey, that's just who I am. Yeah, I'm really, like, I tend to grow real well in this area, but that area over there, I just, it's just who I am. And we, we say that, and I say, well, maybe not. Should we strive for vitality in an area that God wants to see there to be growth. <clears throat> in fact, even as I challenge us here in this moment, I'm reminded a little bit of my track coach in high school. I'm really glad I did that sport because of how relatable it is to our, the Christian faith. But our coach, he saw, I mean, we were just a bunch of, you know, teenagers yet to really have uh, height or muscles or anything like that. And he saw who we could be by the time we would be seniors. And he just challenged us in all these ways. And by the time we were finishing, I mean, over the course, in my case, those four years, I was much faster, much stronger. And because, in many ways, his coaching. And so <clears throat> let me offer some ways to, to train us. In fact, these are three different steps to cultivating fertile soil for your soul. Three different steps to cultivate healthy and fertile soil <clears throat> in your soul, particularly for these areas that maybe historically it just seems like it's a rocky part of your heart or a thorny part of your heart or every time you go there, Satan just takes it and runs with it. You're like, ah, oh, you got me again. You know, that kind of stuff. So three different steps. Each of these build upon each other. So the first step is this, abide in Christ. If you wanna have a fertile soil in this area that tends to just not grow well, you gotta first of all abide with Christ. John 15, four to five says, abide in me and I in you. 
This is Jesus' word. So abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Abiding is oneness with Jesus, the way that Jesus had oneness with his Father. We find strength and rejuvenation from our life in Christ. From that relationship with Christ, we work. From that relationship, we worship. Oftentimes, abiding is expressed by thinking through your daily time with the Lord. And there, it, it, it includes Bible reading and prayer, which is of utmost importance to a Christian life that's growing. But abiding with Christ is more than, say, 30 minutes each morning. Abiding with Christ is a lifestyle. It's, it's day in and day out, every, every minute, every hour, every day, on and on. It's a mindset that is fixed to Christ and surrendered to him throughout the day. Right before the message, we sang this song, I Surrender All. And all the different words, each phrase. I don't remember them well because I don't remember lyrics well at all. But each of the phrases, I thought, wow, that's super applicable to exactly what we're talking about right now. Now, abiding in Christ tends to be threatened by those other landing zones of the gospel seed. So in the same way that birds will take See, just landing on a path. Well, Satan tends to steal this. He will lie to us and say, hey, abiding with Christ, that doesn't really matter. That doesn't matter today. You can do it on your own. You don't really need this. You got this. Look at yourself in the mirror. Flex a little bit. Like, you got that kind of stuff. No, you need to abide. But Satan wants to eat it away like those birds. Or even rocks, you know, that trial and tribulation. When those trials happen, we tend to focus on the fear and the anxiety of the trial rather than sitting with Jesus and abiding in him and then allowing him to walk with us. What's that, that verse out of uh, Matthew 10 or 11 where the, the verse says, come to me all of you who are weary and you rest and, and heavy laden and, and allow me to carry, carry that yoke. Or the thorns, that, that pathway there with the thorns and all that, the cares of the world. Rather than abiding in Christ, we will allow the cares of the world, sometimes even the riches of the world, to eat, to eat it away. In some lame ways, we'll rather read Facebook than abide with Christ and having a quiet time. You know, 30 minutes will go by like that. You're like, I just don't have time to read the Bible. I'm like, but you had 30 minutes to read memes. You know, you can, you can read the Bible. Or even more, more sad, there would be that we believe the lie of self-reliance rather than total surrender to Christ for our strength and direction. So, so again, the, the first step, if you're saying, I, I want to cultivate fertile soil in this area that just I'm just not seeing growth. It just continues to be stolen from me or, or stifled by the trial of the scenario, you know, a, a tough situation you always endure, whatever it might be, will begin by abiding in Christ in that. Secondly, and this is building upon the, the first statement, so you abide in Christ with other Christ followers. And the second step, abide in Christ with other Christ followers. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says, just as the body is one and has many members, like literally your physical body is made up of all sorts of parts, 
And all the members of the body, though they are many, they are one body, so it is with Christ. So you know, you have a bunch of parts of your body, but they all make up who you are as a person. In the same way, we are one body. Each of us, many members. We need one another. When, when some do well, we all do well. When some are sad or weeping, we, we're all weeping with you. And there's the natural component. It, it, it's, it's an organism. I think a lot of people tend to think of a church family, especially one that might be our size, to think of it as a, a little bit more of an institution or an organization. And so often you'll think, I'll do this, it won't matter. No, it does matter. We all feel it. Kind of like a, like a kiddie pool. If you drop like a rock in it, it just kind of ripples through the whole thing. Like the whole pool's felt. If you throw it in the ocean, you know, maybe not so much way far out. Well, we're a lot more like that kiddie pool than you think. And every little decision we make, our response, our love, our charity to one another, we all feel that in one way or another. I know I do, and if I do, how much more some of you might feel that. When we are working healthy, we are all healthy. Another verse describing this role of abiding in Christ with other Christ followers is 1 John 1.7. It says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This role of fellowship with one another is essential. It is vital to your life having the fruit and the growth and the health that we would all aspire to have. Well, fellowship is threatened by these other paths in a few ways. So again, think about the birds, which is you know, the, the example for Satan stealing the gospel seed. Well, he will lie to us and say that fellowship is not important. He'll lie to us and say, you know what? They saw you last week. They'll see you next week. Just, you know, just sleep in. It's cold out today, whatever it might be. Or uh, it's, it's not even so much even about being there on a Sunday. I'll say, uh, well, I have way too much. To keep, so I'm just gonna keep going wrong. I don't wanna keep, keep sticking on this. Sometimes he'll lie to us and say, you know those people in your church? They're a bunch of knuckleheads. Like, you got it. Leave them behind. It's like, no, no, no. Bring us along. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Don't give in to the lies of the, uh, that little steal your joy of fellowship with one another. As you think about the rocks and that kind of trial and tribulation scenario, trials can make us think that <clears throat> fellowship isn't really important because we gave we gave fellowship a try. We worshiped together. I was in a group, but then this tribulation that I'm facing is just too tough. You know, I gave God a chance. I did the whole thing. I did all the stuff Adam said. I grabbed that prayer journal in the lobby and that Bible, and I was growing and growing, but then I hit this wall because this trial or whatever scenario was too tough, so I'm out. And then we miss you. Just put it that way. We will, that'll happen. Perhaps we grow impatient in a trial rather than waiting upon God for his deliverance. And then in the midst of that impatience, we just separate ourselves from fellowship. It's actually, a, it's a great, it's a, it's a great strategy of our enemy. I mean, it's just, he did well when he said, hey, how about you in the midst of your trial? How about you leave the source of your encouragement? How about you stay home? All oh, that kind of isolation will just, Make you really stifle. Or lastly, think about the thorns, you know, the cares of this world. The cares of the world will scream to you to leave fellowship, not just on a Sunday morning, but even 
your group during the week. There's all sorts of fun things to do. You can always work another day. You can always find yourself, I can think of a hundred things I wanna do on Sunday morning. Now, Saturday morning, I'm like, I just don't know. But once Sunday morning comes around, I'm like, wow, I wish if I didn't have to go to church today, I could do this, this. I mean, it's like every day, every Sunday, there's a new thing, you know, 50 of them throughout the year. I could do this. I can't go to Chick-fil-A, but I, I can do these things. And I just, I wanna do all this stuff. And those cares of the world, particularly tied to riches, because it is that day. And I think we could even expand this to think about a Sabbath day and not working. When you, when you set aside one-seventh of your opportunity to work, you know, that one day of a week. And in our case, we're, I mean, if we're being extra generous, extra new covenant, freedom in Christ, which, you know, you're gonna be like, well, even if you set aside a couple hours, sometimes we struggle to set aside a couple hours to worship well in the sacredness of the fellowship because we say, uh, I gotta make a couple dollars. I'm like, well, that's sad. Thirdly here, and these are all building upon each other, so we're gonna abide, with, abide in Christ with other Christ followers looking forward to eternity with Christ. That's a very long statement. I should have had it on the screens, but I'm gonna read it again. Abide in Christ with other Christ followers looking forward to eternity with Christ. Again, eternity with him. What a wonderful thing that is to be. We wanna look forward to this eternity. And, and when we stop, or when we do this, it will cultivate in our hearts a fertile soil for that gospel message to be implanted. When I say gospel too, I'm not just talking the, the salvation, the, the gospel of salvation. I'm talking the, the, the gospel message in its entirety of a life in Christ, a life surrendered to Christ, a, 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 the, the gospel as a whole. Again, it's not just a saving message. It's a, it's a, it's a worshiping message, you know, your whole life. The gospel message, re-looking at that every single day. So as you think about looking forward to eternity with Christ, listen to two of these passages I have for us. One is Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says, Brothers, I do not consider what I have, uh, I, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward that goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There was this straining. I mean, the, the language screams to us the toil and the effort and uh, the, the striving to continue to look ahead. Uh, I don't mean to keep referencing track, but I remember my coach, he would look at us. It was like a really novel thing. I was, it must have been 13 or 14. And he said, stop looking at your feet when you run. Like the ground will still be there. Look ahead. Look where you're going. I'm like, oh yeah, that's a great point. And I actually did, I ran better. And it's the same for us. Let's look ahead. Second Corinthians 4, 18, very similar. It says, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We remember what is ahead of us. Not just heaven, uh, but, but eternity with Christ. What a wonderful future we have. I call that our eternal retirement, eternal residence, where we will be with Christ. Well, that eternal perspective is threatened by these other paths and, and factors. So if you think about the birds, you know, where Satan steals it away, he lies to us and he makes us believe that earth is the final line or the finish line or the, the final destination. 
And so then we begin to act and live and breathe as if, as if what happens here is the only thing that matters rather than what happens here being this, the springboard to what is ahead. Uh, similar with rocks, you know those trials and tribulations? They make us want to throw in the towel because it's too tough for us. We're like, God, oh, this, 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 this is unbearable to handle. Well, th- this, this un- unbearable situation is temporary. Oftentimes, it's literally temporary in the span of your earthly life, but it will definitely be temporary against eternity. And so you take that trial and that tribulation, and and you're doing this as you're abiding in Christ, and you're doing it with others. They're also in trials and tribulations, sometimes the same exact trial. You're going through it together, and you look ahead to what is ahead. That is a major part of the Christian heritage of those who are enduring, but they looked ahead. And then lastly, those thorns or the cares of the world. You know, those things scream for our heart and our values. Black Friday was probably the best example of this in which, you know, you're, you're, you're thankful to the Lord on Thanksgiving Day. God, you're just so awesome. You provide all sorts of things. And then also on Black Friday and you lose your minds and you just buy a bunch of stuff. And you're like, ah. It's like, ah, just be careful not to get sucked into the cares of the world <laughs> in, in those moments of all the sales. Well, as we think through these, these three different factors, abiding in Christ, with Christ followers, looking forward to eternity with Christ. I suspect that there's an area of your life that the Holy Spirit has pinpointed. And Satan, you know, uh, this area, the enemy continually steals from you. And I want it to grow. Or this area, you're allowing the trial that you're in or that same trial kind of comes through every, every season or so. You're allowing it to, 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 to snifle out the, the, the work that God wants to do there or, or even the, the thorns you know, and the cares of the world. This area, you, you know what God is calling you to do. So usually some form of total surrender in contrast to, the, to surrender to the cares of the world. And and we're revisiting that right now. And as we're doing so, it's your opportunity to say, God, I, I, I want there to be fertile soil there. Replace that rock with soil. Replace that, that thorny briar patch with soil. Replace that path that's just been stomped on and the birds eat it every, you know, Satan is always snatching it away. Replace that with soil. Would you do that? And that's where we find ourselves this morning. And I want to encourage you to, if, if God has pinpointed something, to take that to him now. If he hasn't, pray and ask that he would reveal that. He's always good to show me what area do I need to recommit to him or have I had a blind spot in that I need to surrender to him in a new way. Let's ask him to do that. And, and if it comes to mind during the service, you're welcome to, to, to come forward and pray or just pray as we're, as we're singing here. Uh, if, if nothing even comes to mind, Take this as a matter of prayer every, every day, you know, this week and think through it. So Trenton, if you and the team would, would come on up here and lead us in this final song, I want to ask that we would find our minds and our hearts to say, Lord, I am prone to let the enemy steal or the sun to scorch or the thorns to choke out this area that should be growing, should be vibrant. It glorifies you when that happens. And it brings my heart great joy and satisfaction. So I confess my weakness and my need for you in this area. And I ask that you would help me to abide with others as we look forward to eternity. You know, that's 
our, our, that, that is our, our type of prayer right now. So uh, let, me, let me pray for us and, and we'll respond with worship and it could be singing, it could be praying, it could be, it could be writing, whatever it is that, that you need to do to do business with the Lord. Let's use this time to respond appropriately. Heavenly Father, we take your word here and we see the wonderful joy of walking with you and, and allowing our lives to be fertile soil. God, I pray that whatever area that Satan has historically snatched away the gospel message or whichever area there's been a trial that has just been so strong it has made the joy of, of the gospel it lose its, its potency or where there's been the cares of the world that have been so strong we have, we have forgotten our first love. Lord, I pray that you would, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray you would bring breakthrough and deliverance in those areas. And that however that may, that those paths might be expressed in our lives, I pray that you would replace all that nonsense and that deception and those lies. And I pray you would replace it with fertile soil so that you would have full reign in that area and you would help us to grow holy and strong and healthy in that area. So whatever it may be, Lord, we bring it to you now. I, I urge you to do a work in us and that it will, it, over the next 30 days or so, that you would work in our hearts in such a new and a fresh way that we can, we can worship you with even a new outlook on Christmas morning as we think about the incarnation of Christ and, and the wonderful joy and celebration that that is. So here we are, Lord, work in us, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen. You're welcome to stand with us as we sing. Yeah. 